morning to you. It's a, it's a pleasure to be with you this morning. And for those of you who don't know what we're doing at the moment, we are running a course or we're going through a series in our morning services on the book of Corinthians, on 1 Corinthians. And we're looking at the letter that Paul writes to this church because he has planted this church. This is probably the biggest church that he planted. It grew to be probably the most important of the churches that he planted. In fact, he spent a year and a half when he first planted the church, establishing them and teaching them to understand God's way and, and the apostles' teaching and the Word of God. And he's now not with them. He's carrying on with his apostling somewhere else. And he gets message that things are not going tremendously well with the church in some ways. In some ways, they look very successful. In fact, my outline this morning, when I labeled it, I called it the dangers of a successful church because in some ways, to people looking in from the outside, they're doing great. They're having these really lively services with everybody operating in the gifts of the Holy Spirit and they are having a, a, a wonderful teachers. They've had Paul teach them, they've had Apollos teach them, they've had Peter teach them, they had really wonderful visiting speakers. They look like a very successful church, but there is something or there are some things that are wrong at the center of the church. And Paul writes to the Corinthians to address these issues. And so far we've looked at things like the pettiness and the immaturity of people in having favorite preachers and this would not follow that this group followed this bunch, and this group followed this guy, and this group followed that guy, and he talks to them about them being immature and not being ready to be fed properly. Today, we're going to look at a, a group of people that he gets really angry with. And I find it interesting, when you look at the life of Jesus in the New Testament, he puts up with all sorts of things. He puts up with people being brought to him who are caught in adultery, and he treats them with love and with grace. One group of people make Jesus angry, and he speaks in anger to them, and they are the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who should know better. The people who have the access to the teaching and, and should be leading the church in the right direction, but for their own personal gain are leading them in the wrong direction, he gets angry with them. And this morning we're going to see Paul get angry. He actually gets sarcastic at one point, and he really reprimands these people. So let's have a quick look at the, at the scripture we're going to be talking about this morning, which is 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verses 6 to 13 which says this, Now, brothers and sisters, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, Do not go beyond what is written. Hold on to that phrase. That's one of the first things we're going to talk about. Then you will not be puffed up in being a follower of one of us over against the other. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And, what, and if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Already you have all that you want. Already you have become rich. You have begun to reign, and without us, how I wish that you had really begun to reign so we might reign with you, for it seems to me that God has put us apostles on the display at the end of the procession. Like those condemned to die in the arena, we have been made a spectacle in the whole universe to angels as well as human beings. We are fools for Christ, but you are wise. We are weak, but you are strong. We are honored, but we are, you are honored, but we are dishonored. To this very hour we go hunger, we hunger and thirst and are in rags. We are brutally treated, we are homeless. We work hard with our hands, and when we are cursed, we bless, and when we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We have become scum of the earth, garbage of the world, right up to this moment. And Anne spoke last week about the, the slaves in the bottom rung of the galleys, where all the muck dropped down to the working at the bottom in the most dangerous place. Paul says to these people, you're arrogant. And you're arrogant for a number of reasons. And he starts off by pointing out the fact that they are going beyond the word. You know, I think we sometimes think that the early church just consisted of apostles telling stories. But someone like Paul and Apollos, we note, 
taught from the Old Testament. They taught Scripture. Paul's first teaching when he started on his missionary journey was to go into synagogues and say to people, you're expecting a Messiah. The Messiah has come. He's not been recognized. But let me open up to the Old Testament Scriptures and show you that Jesus was the Messiah. And that's how he began to build churches. And in these churches, like uh, the church in Corinth, he's grounded them firmly in Old Testament teaching as well as the teaching of the apostles and the teachings of Jesus Christ. They should know better, but he says to them that they are going beyond the word. They, they are not paying enough attention or giving enough credit or respect to the word of God. And it's quite interesting. If you go and look in the first few chapters, there are lots of Old Testament references to this. He, he shows them the scriptures. So in... 1 Corinthians 1 verse 19, he quotes Isaiah 29, which is, Therefore, once more, I will astonish these people with wonder upon wonder. The wisdom of the wise will perish. The intelligence of the intelligent will vanish. He says, from the Old Testament, he says to them, You should have seen this. Don't become puffed up. Don't rely on your earthly wisdom. In 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9, he says, he quotes them in Isaiah 64 and says, Since ancient times, no one has heard no ear has perceived, no eye has seen, or any, uh, seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. He says, you don't understand the fullness of God. In 1 Corinthians 2 verse 16, he quotes Isaiah 40. Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord or instruct the Lord as his counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him? Who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? He's given them reference to scriptures saying, you may, you may not rely on your own intelligence. Don't rely on your own ability to be dependent on God. But he says they're going beyond the word. We've got a, people, a group of people who've been so well-grounded, whose church is looking so good on the outside, that they feel that the word is the beginning. But they have something to add to it. They have their interpretation, their opinion, their experience is as important as the word to them. And he says you're going beyond the word. He's, he, he reminds them not to be arrogant in that way. And he's, he's really, really deeply concerned because these are the people that are leading the other people. These are people who are saying, follow me. And he doesn't want them following the people. He wants them following the word of God that the people preach. The second thing that he talks to them, he says they've begun to see themselves as important because of the spiritual gifts that they've received. 1 Corinthians 4 verse 7 says, who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that, no, that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did? He says, you guys are setting yourself as being puffed up because of the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit that you have received. You think because you prophesy. You think because you pray for healing. You think because you speak, speak in tongues. You think because you perform miracles that that makes you something special. That means you are appropriating honor for what's been given to you by God. You know, it's one of the challenges that people have in the Church of Christ even today, that when God begins to lift them up and use them, it's very hard to stay humble. It's very hard for people when they see things beginning to happen through them and around them to keep themselves focused on what they're doing for God and stay servants. And I always feel great, not sorrow, but great compassion for young men and women when they begin to become well-known worship leaders. They become Christian rock stars. And people begin to put them up on pedestals. And it's really important for them to stay grounded in the fact that they have a gifting and a calling that God has given them. And that's what makes them special, not their own abilities. Also, it's really important that we remember why we're given the gifts of the Holy Spirit, which we're going to talk about in 1 Corinthians 12, which we'll probably reach in another 10 years or so. <laughs> but when we get there, we'll read this. It says in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. 
All these are the works of one and the same Spirit. Paul reminds them that the abilities they have, the supernatural gifts that God has given them, are given for the purpose of helping other people. It's not to, to put a badge. You know, I was a Boy Scout when I was young, and you, you used to do a certain set of tests, and you got a badge to put in your arm, and you were a... I can't remember, a signaler or whatever it was, or a pioneer, and, and you had these acknowledgments. If you begin to operate through the gifts of the Holy Spirit, it's because God needs to reach someone's life and touch it with the gift that he's putting in your life, not because he wants to make you look more clever. The moment someone who prays for healing and sees healing takes place begins to go, hey, these hands, these hands. It's so dangerous. And these guys have begun to look at the spirituality, the spiritual experience of their church, and think that they were something special because of that. And Paul warns them, you have nothing that you didn't get given to you. And if it was given to you, why do you brag about it as if it was yours? And the third thing he, he talks about, and this is where we're going to spend a bit of time, they behave as if they've arrived. He says in 1 Corinthians 4 verse 8, already you have all that you want. Already you've become rich. You've begun to reign, and that without us. How I wish that you really had begun to reign so that we might also reign with you. These guys had got to the point where they thought they had arrived. What do I mean by that? They were content with where they were at, what they were experiencing. The church was going well. There were lots of people in the church. It appears from 1 Corinthians 14 that their meetings were lively. These guys were intelligent. There were philosophers amongst them. And they believed that they had got to where they needed to be. And the moment we in our Christian walk think we've arrived, we begin to lose out very largely and greatly on what God actually wants to do in our lives. Um, I just want to read a few scriptures just to, to emphasize a point which I'll make after that. About Luke chapter 9, verse 28 to 33 talks about Jesus working with um, some of his disciples at the Transfiguration. It says, about eight days after Jesus had said this, he took Peter and John and James with him, and they went into a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus, and they spoke about his departure, which was about to bring to pass, sorry, which was about to bring fulfillment to Jerusalem. And Peter and his comp companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw the glory and the two men standing with him. The men, as the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And it says he did not know what he was saying. I want to put it into context. These three disciples who are important disciples in the group, they the closest ones to Jesus, go with him to the top of a mountain, and in their presence, Jesus transfigures into his heavenly form. He begins to look like he looks in heaven. He begins to shine in all his glory. And Moses and Elijah appear and talk with him, and they wake up, and this is happening around them, and they go, we've got to stay here. This is awesome. Peter says, we, we, we can't leave this. this. This is the most incredible experience we've ever had in our lives. We'll build some huts and we'll stay here as long as we can. Let me read another passage to you where Jesus has to deal with this kind of thing himself. At sunset, the people brought Jesus all who had various kinds of sicknesses and, lay, and he laid hands on them, healing them. Moreover, demons came out of many people shouting, you are the son of God. He rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Messiah. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and they came to where he was and tried to keep him from leaving. And they came to him and said, don't go. Stay and do some more of this. Now think about this. Just before this, he's been to Nazareth. And when he went to Nazareth, he was chased out of town by the people who knew him and loved him. 
because he wouldn't do miracles for them. He goes from Nazareth to Capernaum, which is where this takes place, and he has a really good time. In the, in the synagogue that morning, he delivers a man from an evil uh, spirit. In the afternoon, he heals Peter's mother-in-law, and in the evening, they bring many people to him, and he heals them. He's being affirmed. He's had a really bad time. The people who should have loved him in his hometown have chased him away. He's now in Capernaum, and everybody in Capernaum is saying, Yay, Jesus, stay with us. He says, I can't stay. In the same way, they couldn't stay on the Mount of Transfiguration because the presence of the Holy Spirit that we are given now, because, well, let me just backtrack a bit. What was happening in the church in Corinth was that they were experiencing the presence of the Holy Spirit. They were speaking in tongues. They were prophesying. There was healing taking place. The church was dynamic and was happening. And for these guys that, Peter, sorry, that Paul is speaking to, they decided that was good enough. Jesus, when he's having a good time in one place, says there's more that I need to do. There's more that I've got to grow. I have a task. My father, he says to these people when they say stay, he says, no, I need to go and preach in the towns around here. When they're up on the mountain and Peter says stay here, he doesn't even give an explanation. just says he didn't know what he was saying. Of course he won't stay there. He's got to go to the cross. When I first discovered the presence of the Holy Spirit, I'd grown up, and some of you will know because I've shared my testimony before in the church, I grew up in a conservative church where we were terrified of the Holy Spirit. We greatly respected Him, but we didn't talk to Him or try and get involved with Him because He was the scary one that you couldn't see. To cut a long story short, when we were in our early years of marriage, Sandra and I got involved with some people who led us into an understanding of the Holy Spirit, into the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and we landed up with a happy, clappy, demon-stomping, prophesying, tongue-talking bunch of Christians. And in this situation, I had a couple of experiences which led me into being a worship leader where the presence of God was so intense that I was afraid to look behind me because I didn't know if he was standing behind me. And it was awesome. We'd had this change from being very dedicated and, and, and very disciplined, and suddenly it was okay to feel the excitement of God and to experience the emotion of the presence of God. And we were blown away, and it's all we wanted to do. If we had a braai, which is a barbecue, <laughs> a barbecue is actually a group of people lining up to have their hair cut, but a braai, people cooking food outside. <laughs> we'd have a braai, and then we'd worship. And we'd spend hours in worship, and we would have a Bible study, and we'd spend hours in worship, and we would have a prayer meeting and spend hours in worship. And we longed to be in a place of worship, and it's good to be in a place of worship. But we suddenly realized that's what we were doing. That was the pinnacle of our experience. When what God really intends for these times that we spend in His presence is that when we with unveiled face gaze upon Him, we become changed from glory to glory, the Scripture says, to be like Him. And because we become more like him, we become more effective in serving him. We become more equipped. We begin to study the word more. We begin to place ourselves more in a position where God can use us. Let me tell you some good news. The most exciting spiritual experience you've ever had in your life, whether it's been at a, at a conference or anywhere where the Spirit of God has moved and you've been blown away by the presence of God, is just the deposit of what we're going to live in. It's not where it's at. We are going to live permanently in the presence of God, looking at him in the face. The moments of experience we have down here, the times are to change our hearts and to equip us and to become more like him so we can be more effective. And these guys, where well, we've arrived. We speak in tongues, we prophesy, we heal, we have miracles. Let's just stay here. Let's build some shelters and stay here. And he's chastising them and saying that's not what it's called to be.
I've now gone off my notes. I need to go back to them. I just wanted to quote 2 Corinthians 5, verse 5, just to underline that. Now, the one who fashioned us for the very purposes of God, for this very purpose is God, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Don't become trapped in the experience. Experiencing God is wonderful. You know, I was brought up, as I said, being afraid of the Holy Spirit, and we had discipline. We had the Word of God. We were raised in the Word of God, and it was good, and it was helpful, and I was born again, and I'm very grateful. But I always say that some of the people that taught me in those days and the people that led me to the Lord in those days were going to get to heaven one day, and God was going to say to them, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter in. By the way, you are allowed to enjoy it. Because it is true that we are here to enjoy the presence of the Holy Spirit and the sweetness of His presence. But that's not the end game. That is the, the deposit. God is saying, I'm, I'm stepping in the form of the Holy Spirit into your realm with the constraints that you have and the problems you have, and I'm empowering you to be above that. I'm giving you the gifts and the fruit that can rise you above the challenges and equip you. And if you're equipped, go out and do something. Whatever it might be. Go out and study God's Word. Go out and tell someone about Jesus. Go out and go on mission. Begin to learn to preach. Do whatever God has called you to do, but do it in the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit who's equipped you. And see his companionship and his leadership as a way for you to realize the calling that God has on your life. Being in the presence of the Holy Spirit is something which we will always enjoy, but we will stand in the presence of the triune God in heaven for eternity. That's when that will be our full and what all we want. Now, Amy Grant sings a song that says, we're just here to learn to love him. We'll be home in a little while, but while we're here, we've got stuff to do. And Paul says to them, you guys think you've arrived. And then he contrasts this with himself. He says, for it seems that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession. Like those condemned to die in the arena, we have been made spectacles for the whole universe, to, angel, to angels as well as to human beings. We are fools for God, but you are so wise. Paul begins to actually become, it almost sounds a little bit bitter. Remember, he's a human being, a little bit sarcastic. He says, you guys are so wise in Christ. And myself and the other apostles, we are being made a, a, a spectacle. We suffer. When Paul lists off at one stage the sufferings that he went through, he was beaten, he was stoned, he was put in prison several times, he was shipwrecked more than once, he went hungry, he went thirsty, he was homeless on occasion. He says, this is not a glamorous job that I'm doing. And you guys that, whose church I planted and you know, I spent a year and a half with setting you up have now got to the point where you're beginning to judge me and spoke about that last week. You're beginning to think that because of the outside affluence that you're showing, because of the outside success that you're showing, that you're in a position to actually begin to override God's word, to override what we are saying, and to establish yourself as judges. And he says, what's happening to me in the meantime, me and the other apostles? Well, we're suffering. We are not spending all of our time rejoicing in the miracles that we perform. We're not spending all of our time rejoicing in the gifts we have. We're out here suffering. And you know, I just thought, as a matter of interest, the Bible doesn't tell us what happened to the apostles. Some of them we hear about for the last time in Acts chapter 2 or Acts chapter 1, someone like Matthias who was put in Judas's place. But there are apographic writings that 
give us what people believed at that time happened. And it's interesting that the theme is pretty constant about what happened to the apostles. Have a listen. Um, tradition tells us that Peter and Paul were both martyred in Rome at about 66 AD during the persecution under Emperor Nero. Paul was beheaded and Peter was crucified. Andrew went to the land of the man-eaters, which is now somewhere in the Soviet Union. Christians there claim him as the first one to bring the gospel to them. He's said to have been crucified. Thomas probably was the most active in the area of Syria. Tradition has him preaching as far east as India, where the ancient Mothoma Christians revere him as their founder. They claim that he died there, pierced with the spear of four soldiers. I've been to Chennai, I've been to St. Thomas Mount, where they claim he died, and there's a little church there where they have a, a bone that they claim is his knuckle bone. But the, the, the teaching is, <laughs> it's probably just something from something else, but their teaching is he was here, he went to India, and he died run through with the spears of soldiers. Philip had a powerful ministry in Carthage in North Africa and Asia Minor where he converted the, the wife of a Roman proconsul in retaliation. The proconsul had him arrested and cruelly put to death. Matthew was a tax collector. They think he was stabbed to death in Ethiopia. Bartholomew died as a martyr somewhere in southern Arabia. And James, the son of Alphaeus, was uh, reportedly stoned and then clubbed to death. This doesn't sound very glamorous. Be an apostle. Good pension scheme, ugly death. <laughs> it's not glamorous. And they were living, Paul says at one stage, we do not want you to be uninformed. This is from 2 Corinthians, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the provinces of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure. Paul says, I couldn't bear it anymore so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received a sentence of death. This is the powerful apostle Paul, the man of faith. He says, I felt like I was dying. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and, we will and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. He says, I'm suffering, and I expect I will continue to suffer. I had to rely solely on the power of God to sustain me and to bring me through, and I expect I'll still have to do that when I go forward. But you've arrived. You're having great services. You have intelligent people speaking to you. You have philosophers. You speak in tongues. You prophesy. Your services are full of this. He's actually really ripping them off. He's, he's rebuking them quite strongly. He's saying to them, this is not acceptable. Why? Well, guys, when we think we've arrived, we don't go any further and we don't look out for what's coming up ahead. I'm going to say something to you that I normally say to groups of students. When I teach a class in RS, I'll often say to them, I don't know what's in front of me. You know, one day a teacher taught a class with Winston Churchill and didn't know who he was going to become. Teachers in Pretoria, in a place called Pretoria Boys High School, taught a guy called Elon Musk who apparently didn't fit in really well at the school and wasn't very happy. They didn't know what he was going to become. All of the, the people that have made established presences in the world that have great reputation started off as ordinary people sitting in gatherings of people. And I don't know what you guys are going to do in the world. Some of you are very young, some of you are older. But I don't know what the potential is that God has got planned for you. I know this, he has a plan. God doesn't waste assets ever he has a purpose and a plan for you to serve the kingdom of God I don't know what it might be it might be knocking on the door of your next door neighbor and taking them a, a dessert and telling them that you care about them and Jesus loves them 
It might be that some of the younger people here are going to do things that are astounding that we don't know about. But God has got a plan. And if you get to the point where you say, I'm arrived, I've done everything I need to do, you cut that plan off at the, at the beginning. You never fulfill it. And I wonder how many people are camping just below the summit of what God has got for them. And like Peter, they've said, this is fantastic, this is amazing, let's build a camp here and I will stay here. It feels safe, it feels familiar. I don't care who you are, God's still got something planned for you. I don't care how old you are. I don't care if you're in the golden years. <laughs> I don't care where you are, God has got something more planned for you. He's got a purpose and a plan for your life. I don't care what your circumstances are, God has got a purpose and a plan for your life. No matter how Desperate situations might be God's got a plan and a purpose for your life. If you call it the day before he does, you're robbing yourself of the plan and, and, and the victory that God has for you. And it may be at your cost. Paul doesn't say, I'm striving away and I'm suffering with the other apostles and things are really bad for us. But soon we'll go in retirement and we'll have big houses and we'll have a nice place to stay and we'll live out our, our last days in quietness. They all, pretty much all of them, died violent deaths while they were still considered a threat by those who stood against the kingdom of God. Don't stop. Don't pull back. So let's just recap. He said to them, be careful you don't go beyond the word. Be careful that you don't deny the word, that you don't avoid the word, that you don't ignore the word. He said to them that they mustn't be behaving as if what they have through the Holy Spirit is from themselves. Don't be important because of spiritual gifts. He said to them they haven't arrived I've said this at the end of what I've written down. Don't stop before the finish line. That makes the spiritual experience your final destination. I wanted to refer you to Psalm 127 and verse 1. Whatever we're doing, however gifted we are, however experienced we are or not, Whatever we're doing will not have the value that it's supposed to have if it's not built in the power of God. And it's said quite simply in Psalm 127 verse 1, Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the gods who stand watch, watch in vain. And there's the challenge for us. What are you building for the future and how are you building it? Are you building a shelter to stay where you are? Are you building a road to go forward? And if you're doing that, are you doing that in the strength of your own teaching and learning and experience and desire or are you doing it in the strength of the Lord because unless you build in him it's not going to be effective and the challenge is for the church I would say when I started this I called it the dangers of a successful church I think we're quite a successful church here at Forest Town we have a nice bunch of people we've got a nice building we've got great worship teams we've got wonderful people we need to be careful as a group corporately that we don't take that for granted and fall into any of these traps. And I want to say to you, I'm reassured because I spend quite a lot of time with Anton Helen and I know that they're aware of this and they watch out for this. But what about us individually? Where are we at in terms of these challenges? I just want to challenge you to think about the fact that there's that plan and purpose laid out for you. There is that course that you can walk, that only you can walk. There are people to reach that only you will be able to reach. And God has got a plan for that to happen if you decide to let him do it. Don't camp just below the summit. Don't stop before you reach. Let's pray together.
Father, thank you for the blessings that you've poured out on this church community, and I pray that we will use them well. We pray that as individuals and as, as a group corporately, we will not fall into any of the traps that Paul points out this morning, that we will acknowledge the joy of the presence of your Holy Spirit. We will acknowledge the authority of your word, that we will acknowledge that we have much more to do and that there's always a place to go further that you will take us to. Help us not to be complacent or arrogant, we pray in Jesus' name. And thank you for what you've given us. We don't want to say that we have things because of our own strength. We thank you for every good thing that we enjoy here, every person's skill and ability and gifting that's shared in this place. We acknowledge comes down from you and that we have nothing to boast about whatsoever. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.